We're going to have a good time. Open your Bibles with me to Daniel chapter 8. Daniel chapter 8. All right, we're going to get Daniel 8 and get Revelation chapter 11. Let's start with Revelation 11. Lord, help us as we study your word tonight, and I pray that uh, it's a help to your people and that we can just exalt your word in your name even more, having heard your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we were looking, we are looking at the predictive principle And this morning, we looked at the difference between prophecy and prediction. Prophecy is foretelling the Word. Yeah, prophecy is foretelling the Word of God. Prediction is foretelling the Word of God. And we looked at some basic principles, some tests. And those tests, they they determine, they show us the difference between any type of, of human prediction and the kind of prediction that God makes. And what we looked at was the remoteness of time, the minuteness of detail, the novelty of combination, the mysteries of contradiction, and the accuracy, the clearness of the forecast. And we even broke down some of the places where that takes place. What I want to talk about tonight is the difference between speculative interpretation of prophecy and allowing the Bible to interpret itself um, often there needs to be, history must be taken into consideration in the fulfillment. So look at Revelation chapter 11. And this is talking about the two witnesses. And so look at what the Bible says in verse 8. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. Boy, how about that description, God's description, spiritually, what he thinks of Jerusalem? That's tough, isn't it? And let's read on. Um, Verse 9, And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. So a couple of things about this text that are so interesting to me. Um, This is prophecy. Y'all see that? And yet, look at the way that the Bible describes it. It says, and they, verse 10, and they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them. And it says in verse 11, and after three days and a half, the Spirit of God entered into them. Prophecy is God writing history before it happens. Predictive prophecy is God writing. This is written as history. Do you see that? This is written as if it has happened, and it has not happened yet. 
That's how sure God is when he writes prophecy. But here's where history is vital, understanding what's going on. When we read this text, until the present day, people have skipped over this. They think that this is hyperbole. The whole world could see it. There's no way that the world could have seen it up until very recently. And now there's the Olympics going on in China, and you could watch it today. I doubt very many of us are, but you could watch it today because of the kind of technology that we have. The whole world will see it. And so what we see about this is these two witnesses, they're going to die, they're going to lay in the street for three and a half days, and the whole world is going to see it. How many of you remember some events that happened that that were worldwide news? Do you remember Saddam Hussein's statue coming down? Or people watching the planes flying into the World Trade Center? These kinds of things that everyone has seen now. And just think about even back uh, the Hindenburg, when the Hindenburg blew up. Uh, Dan, you remember when that was. It just... Um, <laughs> well, I don't, I don't remember the year of that. Was it the 19... Well, when was it? So I, I thought it might have been in the 30s. But that had to be newsreels. And you'd go to the movie theater, and a week or two weeks, however long after the event, you'd have the movie tone news and at the movie theater, then then you would see what was going on, and that's when Jeff and Sue were on dates. They would go and see that stuff back when they were young. But anyway, the world is so different. We're not talking about very long. All of us, I remember when we got cable, and there was, Dad was so excited because we only had two channels forever, and this, this cable remote was wired to the TV and it was a box and you'd push a button for the individual channel and it it was amazing because now I could watch the Yankees. I got channel nine out of New York City and I could watch the Yankees. I was a little kid and uh, WPIX was the Yankees channel. The world is so different now. Now people don't even watch TV. They have internet. They broadcast television is going the way of the of the dinosaur. So if there's something in the Bible, a prophetic event in the Bible, that you you look at it and you read it and you say, man, I just don't see how this could happen. Just think about how all of these things can happen now that couldn't have happened any time in the, in the past. And yet, every time the Bible becomes truer and truer and truer. Now, is the Bible truer? No, but in our own minds, it is. Those things that we thought were hyperbole, those things that we thought were uh, just just poetic language. My favorite one, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, I'll just make reference to it. My favorite one is that if all of the things that Jesus did were written, I suppose that the, that the books of the world couldn't contain it. And then you look at the Psalm 139, where it says, all my members were written in his book. And you find out that every cell of your body is made up of a four billion letter word. And so until DNA was discovered, that just seemed poetry. Now we know he wrote my members in his book. We couldn't have known that was true until they they mapped the genome, until they understood what DNA is and what, what that is. And yet, those same people that have made those discoveries, they won't believe the Bible. And yet, we ought to. We ought to. And so what happens is when we, 
when we read the Bible, history must be taken into consideration in the fulfillment of prophecy. Really fun to see it that way. Then, there's a great deal of difference between speculation concerning prophecy and interpretation. Man, all of us have heard some prophecy guy on TV or, you know, you've heard a recording of it, and he's, you know, Saddam Hussein is the fulfillment of Babylon. Remember that was being said? Because he was trying to rebuild Babylon. That's what Hussein was doing. You know, Babylon is Iraq. He was trying to rebuild the city of Babylon, and he was going to be the Antichrist. And there, I've got books in my library that could show you, you know, Mystery Babylon, year 2002, you know, whatever. And there's nothing more dated. There is no, there's nothing more out of date than a prophecy book. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way because the Bible is up to date. So how do we do this? How do we make sure that we're not speculating about prophecy? Well, the easiest way is to let the Bible actually tell you what the prophecy is. Let's go to Daniel chapter 8, and let's look at how this is done. Daniel chapter 8, look at verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which appeared unto me at the first. Now, again, there are, you know, critics, skeptics who don't believe that Daniel wrote Daniel. Here, Daniel said he wrote Daniel. Okay, even to me, Daniel. Even unto me, Daniel. Verse 2. And I saw in a vision, and it came to pass when I saw that I was at Shushan in the palace. So maybe 40 years ago, they found that palace. Really cool. And so, do you know where this palace was? It was right up against the river. It was just exactly the way the Bible describes it. So, and I saw in a vision, and it came to pass, when I saw that I was at Shushan in the palace, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in a vision, and I was by the river of Uli. Then I lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram which had two horns. And the two horns were high, but one, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. So you got this ram, got ram horns, and one horn is a little bit higher than the other. So his head's a little cattywampus, look, look like this, and one horn's bigger than the other. So sometimes when we're reading the Bible, it's good to just actually picture what's going on. Is this mystical? Is this a rhinoceros? No, it's a ram, right? Rams don't have their horns here. Rams have their horns here. You see the stuff you learn at Grace Baptist Church, guys? And so the Bible's making this, there's this picture that's being painted for us here, all right? So look at verse 4. I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward so that no beasts might stand before him. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand. But he did according to his will and became great. And as I was considering, behold, an he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. So this is an unusual goat. 
This, now, now, this is a weird, he has a, a horn between his eyes. In another place, the Bible describes unicorns. So that's, that's the idea here. And he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with challer against him, and smote the ram, and brake his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to stand before him. So we know that the Bible describes the horn of his power. That's horn and power are the same thing. And this this ram, or this goat, he goat, it, it destroys this, this ram. So, um, and there was no power in the ram, middle of verse 7. There was no power in the ram to stand before him. But he cast him to the ground and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Therefore the he-goat waxed very great. When he was strong, the great horn was broken. How about that? And for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven, and out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Well, wait a minute. Now we're starting to see that now we've got a ram that's pulling down stars of the heaven and stamping on them. And So what do we have? So because we have the New Testament, we can actually understand the fulfillment of this without the interpretation that God gives. But we're not left to do that. The interpretation is actually given us in the chapter itself. So I don't have to try to imagine who, what does this ram represent? Who are the two horns? Who is this, this, this he goat that comes? Who are these characters? So Gabriel comes in verse 16, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. And so Gabriel comes and does that. And so now, here is the, the interpretation. Look at verse 20. The ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia. And so what do you have? The, the smaller horn, the weaker horn, is, is Darius, and the larger horn is Cyrus. Well, who comes and wipes out Cyrus? Let's, let's keep reading. And the rough goat, I like that, the rough goat. Isn't that a funny name? He was, he was rough. And, and this idea of being rough is he was wild, mean. So let, let's read on. And the rough goat is the king of Grecia, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. So that's Alexander the Great. And when he comes flying through without touching the ground, that's how fast Alexander took over everything. He was 28 years old when he was done. No more worlds to conquer. Then what does he do? He didn't give his land. Remember, what, what did he say? He didn't, he didn't pick an heir. Who remembers what Alexander said? I know, that, I know that Brent knows. I know that you guys know. Remember what he said? Give it to the strong. Give it to the strong. And so now, Alexander's army, or Alexander's kingdom, is divided into four leaders. Just exactly what the Bible said it would happen. We look back in history, we can see exactly what happened, but there's something, now we're going to move from earthly kingdoms to the supernatural realm, just like that, in this prophecy. 
This is where you get those seeming contradictions and this, these mysteries and, and all of those things. Let's, let's look at how this works. Verse 21, And the rough goat is the king of Grecia, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Now that, being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. None of these kings were as powerful. And uh, I'm just going from memory here, but I believe it was the Ptolemies. Is that right? Some of you? Yeah, it was the Ptolemies. And it wasn't as powerful as Alexander. So now let's keep reading. Verse 23. And in the latter time of their kingdom. Now, wait a minute. Latter time. Now we're moving into the last days. You see a shift that takes place? Now watch this. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, oh, wait a minute, the fullness of the Gentiles be come in? See, when Nebuchadnezzar took over, that began the times of the Gentiles. When does that end? When the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. As it says in Romans chapter 11, Jesus said that the times of the Gentiles would end. The times of the Gentiles. After the times of the Gentiles comes the restitution of all things. Okay? So, and in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. What does the beast do? He stands up speaking dark things, speaking blasphemies. And so now all of a sudden we're coming into the Antichrist. How do we know this is the Antichrist? Remember when, when Satan's cast out, a third of the stars are cast out with him? And he tramples them under his feet. All of these things that are going on. Verse 24. And his power shall be mighty. Uh Uh-oh. But not by his own power. The Antichrist is indwelt by Satan. But not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully. And shall prosper and practice. And shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand and he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many what happens with the first the first horseman revelation chapter 6 he comes and he he has a bow and a crown and conquers a bow and no arrows he conquers with peace the next thing power is given unto the next horse to remove peace from the earth and to kill do you see this is exactly the prophecy that's going to happen And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart. And by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes. But he shall be broken without hand. How does God destroy him? With the word of his mouth. This is is all prophecy. And we're given the answer. And the vision of the evening and the morning which was told is true. Wherefore shut thou up the vision. Uh, for it shall be for many days. And so what happens is, go back to verse 25, and through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart. What happens when he magnifies himself in his heart? Well, Daniel chapter 9, go to Daniel 9. Look at what it says in verse 26. And after three score and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince shall come 
that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end the war of desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause sacrifice and the oblation to cease for the overspreading of abominations. He shall make it desolate even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So this abomination of desolation, what's he going to do? He's going to make peace, then he's going to take peace away. What is happening here? In Daniel chapter 9, we're getting more information about what's being spoken of in Daniel chapter 8. Now go to Matthew chapter 24. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. So what's happening here? This is the revelation of the Antichrist. This is that wicked one is going to be revealed that we looked at in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This begins the great tribulation, first half, the beginning of sorrows, three and a half years. The middle of the tribulation, this abomination of desolation takes place. Now you're going to go into three and a half years of great tribulation. And Jesus said, such has never been on the earth nor ever shall be. That's what Jesus said. So when we read Daniel chapter 9 and we see these specific detailed predictions, then he gives us the actual nations that it represents, and then it shifts from that nation to this Antichrist. But somehow this Antichrist has to be descended from one of those four kingdoms that came out of Alexander the Great's empire. These are details. And until that happens, we won't know how it worked. When we, and this is the historical part of it. We, people can speculate about who it is and make up a name, but until we're there and can look back, we won't have any idea how God did it. But when it happens, we're going to go, oh my goodness, it is exactly what he said. And for the New Testament to fill in these blanks so clearly, so precisely, there's no way a man could do this. And so when we look at prophecy, prophecy can be foretelling a message, what, what God is saying to that nation, to that local group, that nation as a patriot and as a, as, a, as a man announcing that trouble is coming to the nation, or it could be a prediction about what's coming, and it could still be 500 years in the future. I don't think it will be, but we know that it is going to come, and when it happens, it'll be every detail, specific to the minute detail of what was here. Don't we have an amazing Bible? Amen. Let's all stand together. Lord, we love you, and it's so overwhelming to even read what we did tonight. Just this brief overview of how history informs us about how your prediction came to pass And that tells us how it will come in the future.